HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hey there, and welcome to the Feed Feed Podcast. I'm Alexa Santos. The Feed Feed is the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. Here on the podcast, we are speaking with members of the hashtag Feed Feed community to hear their stories, learn about their culinary inspirations, and get some of their best cooking tips. Today, I'm so excited to be joined by Patty Hinich. Patty is a Mexican chef, TV personality, cookbook author, educator, and food writer. She is best known for her James Beard award-winning and Emmy-nominated public television series, Patty's Mexican Table. She also has a brand new docuseries also on PBS called La Frontera. Patty and her shows share the same mission of showcasing Mexico's diverse food and people. Patty, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to talk to you about everything that is delicious. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I love following the feed feed. You guys make everyone hungry. Oh, good. Yeah, that's our goal. You and I, we have the same mission then, I guess. (laughs) We do. We are connected in a love for food. Absolutely. So Patty, let's go back to the very, very beginning. Tell me where you were born, where you grew up, and what some of your earliest food memories are. Of course. Okay, so I'm... In Mexico City, born and raised, all of my family's in Mexico, and I just grew up surrounded by food. Food is not only the language of my country and my culture, but food just became my language of choice when I switched careers from political analysis to cooking after I moved to the U.S. Um, I guess my earliest memories of food are People in my family telling me to stop putting so much food in my mouth because I always <laughs> eat gigantic bites. I always want to have everything that's on the plate on my fork. And I've always had just a huge appetite. Well, I'm sure your parents were pleased about that because so many parents struggle with getting their kids to 
eat a lot or, you know, a lot of picky eaters when they're little. So I'm sure they were happy about that in some <laughs> way, no? <laughs> well, you know, the grass is always greener. Yes. Um, I'm the fourth of four girls. And I think, you know, my older sisters ate like normal amounts of food. And I just had a much bigger appetite than everyone. And I remember being like six or seven years old and my dad, you know, he's this very big, tall guy. And I used to to put just as much food on my plate as he did. And my mom used to tell me, Patty, you're just not as big. You need to eat a little less. Um, (laughs) And that continued further when I got married and moved to the U.S., Um, I remember, you know, I started cooking for my husband and me and my mom came to visit and she was eating this special diet of like juices and some cleansing things. And so when I would cook for my husband and me, I would just put half of what I cooked on his plate and half of mine. And it was the same thing. Like, Patty, he's two heads taller than you. He has a bigger (laughs) appetite. Like your body's going to take revenge on you one day. But um, so far, I feel like I haven't had any problems. I do love to eat. And I think that my appetite goes further into not only do I want to eat and taste everything, but I want to learn and share everything that's behind every bite that I try. Oh, absolutely. And you know what, what a, I mean, you're lucky, I guess that, you know, your body has kept up with it, but I guess that's just, you were put on this earth to eat and enjoy food. So, you know, I feel like there are worse problems to have than having a big appetite for delicious food, right? Absolutely (laughs) not a problem. I love it so much. Yes. Good, good. So you grew up in Mexico City. So who was kind of teaching you how, when did you start learning how to cook? Were you in the kitchen with, you know, abuelas or how was, what was that like? Yeah, everybody in my home cooked. Uh, My mom was an art dealer and she had a gallery, but She didn't cook that much during the week, but on the weekends, she was in the kitchen um, making really laborious and celebratory foods. And my sisters got into cooking very early on. My grandmothers on both sides were big time cooks and loved just feeding our family. And I just grew up in a country where there's so much pride into home cooking and home Mm -hmm. cooking is what I focus and specialize on. Yeah. So what were some of your favorites growing up that you were kind of trying and getting to know? So I think I love messy foods. I love one pot meals. I love very unpretentious things. You know, tortilla soup, pozole, menudo, um, enchiladas, just one one plate or one pot dishes where you have everything in the meal in one bite. Those are the things that I love the most. And growing up, I guess, enfrijoladas were one of my favorites. Enfrijoladas are enchiladas. So you have the corn tortilla and it gets stuffed with either chicken or cheese or scrambled eggs. And then you roll it. And instead of saucing it with an enchilada sauce, you sauce it with a pinto or black bean sauce. Oh, yeah. And then you garnish it with a little Mexican crema and queso fresco and avocado. And that was a favorite, definitely, growing up. And fideo seco, which is Mexican-style pasta. Another big thing were molletes, you know, which are Mm. 
you know, Mexico's bread with refried beans, a lot of melted cheese, and then pico de gallo on top. And all those foods are foods that I now make at home here in the U.S. for my family. So it's just um, this beautiful bridge, you know, where I'm cooking here the things that nurtured me growing up. Ooh, okay. Well, I knew I was going to get hungry talking to you during this conversation, and you have not disappointed. And oh, it's good. only been a few minutes. So. <laughs> yes. I do not like to disappoint. I am the fourth. I am the youngest in my family. I always wanted to entertain. And yes. when you're the baby, you always aim to please. Absolutely. And you have to speak above everyone else. So you've got to be extra entertaining and loud. I, I totally get it. I'm the oldest, but I have two little sisters. So we're three girls. And my youngest sister is a wild child. Well, I mean, she's grown up now, but she definitely was a wild child. So that youngest <laughs> child having to like outdo everyone else. I definitely grew up with that, <laughs> with her <laughs> being the littlest one. So I get it. And so how old were you? What year was it when you moved over to the States? It was right after I got married. So I must have been, and I married young. I must have been like 22 or 23. Um, and we moved to Dallas and that is where my oldest son was born. And we were there for like two or three years. And then, um, we were going to move back to Mexico, but we decided to give Washington, D.C. a try. And my husband got a job here and we were going to be here for one or two years more. That was it. But then it's been 20 and we've made it our home. Wow. And so what was that like when you came over here and had to completely reacclimate to a brand new culture? Well, you know, I always like to say that I'm happily torn between two countries. I have grown really deep roots in the U.S. This is where my three boys were born. This is where we're raising our family. This is where I switched my career. This is where, you know, we live and love. And I love my home country, too. And I feel like the more the years go by the deeper my roots grow into Mexico. Um, so I feel like I'm doubly rooted. And of course, you know, in the beginning, there was a big adaptation. I didn't speak good English at all. I mean, I still have a heavy accent, but um, I couldn't string a sentence, you know, when I first moved to Dallas. And so the language was an adaptation. And um, of course, you know, but but it's it, it always was like a like a great and joyous adventure in learning the ways of this country, celebrating Thanksgiving as well as Posadas and celebrating Fourth of July as well as Cinco de Mayo. So it's just been added. I think in the beginning it was, I mean, it was, you know, adapting to this new place and um, learning the ways of food, the ways of culture, the ways of celebrating and getting together. I remember when we first moved and we started getting invited like to dinner or to join friends at their homes and we would get these invites that would have very precise times, you know, like come to dinner Saturday from six to eight. And I always used to think, how do they know when something's going to end? You know, that's how <laughs> our cultures are so different. And if you got there a few minutes late, it was rude. So in Mexico, when you're invited to someone's house, first of all, a lot of people just show up. You know, you just show up to your friend's house. You show up on Sunday. You show up on Friday. You know, you say, we're going to get together and it's around a certain time. Or if you give a time 
and you say, come to my house at six, nobody shows up at six. It's mm-hmm. really rude. It's seen as very rude to show up at six because it's a sign of, for people, they feel like you're pressuring them into being oh. ready. Like you're not giving them a chance to be ready for you. So the polite thing to do, the Mexican etiquette, is to show up 10 minutes after they tell you to. Oh, well, I can get behind that. (laughs) If you show up at the door at the exact time, it's seen as rude. And then you never tell people when to leave because you're like, wait, they don't think they're going to have a good time here? Like, what's going on? So, um... You never, ever give an ending time. Um, it's kind of people know when the thing ended, you know, and it's like natural. And not, And here, of course, you understand. You, you know, I've gotten, I've gotten acclimated or accustomed to, of course, people have things they need to organize. And it's a different way of seeing life and schedules, you know, but it's yeah. very, very different cultures. But I think that one enriches the other, definitely. You know, I see it with my American friends. Like, they chill and relax a little with me. And I I formalize and I'm more organized when I'm with them, you know? So I see it's a benefit of the sharing of cultures. Yeah, absolutely. And that's so funny, that the talking about just the the difference in the way that both cultures acknowledge being late or on time. It's, I think maybe I'll use that as my excuse now that, you know, I'm just like, Oh, I mean, I, I heard that this is the way in Mexico that you should do it. Cause I'm late for everything. I don't think I've ever been on time for anything in my entire life. And, you know, here, obviously that's kind of the opposite of what you're describing where that's actually considered pretty rude. I think you should consider a move. I know. I think that those are, that's my people. I think I found my people. Like (laughs) it's more polite to be late. That's what I've been needing my entire life because my entire life people have been yelling at me for being late and not on time to things. But and who knew I was just being polite (laughs) in Mexican culture. But of course there's, you know, there's a lapse. Like if you're 10, 15 minutes late, it's perfect. If you're an hour late, then that's rude. Okay. All right. We'll go with that. I think 10 to 15 minutes is a perfectly sane amount of time to be late for something. So I'm going to rock with that. And my friends and family are going to be very frustrated with you for giving me this excuse to, um, <laughs> to justify my, be- yeah, to justify my behavior. So <laughs> I'm going to blame you. They're going to come knocking on your door, not mine, <laughs> but that's, that's incredible. So you obviously settled here and, you know, started a family and you know how, and you talk a lot about the way that your heart is kind of in two places with your, um, you know, your two cultures. So when did you decide that you, you know, we're going to pursue the route of, I I guess I'm trying to fill in the gap of you moved here. And how did things come about for you to start having these shows on PBS and for your kind of life's work to be telling these delicious food stories from Mexico? Like, how did that all happen? Yeah. So I was a political analyst um, and I wanted to be an academic and I got a merit scholarship to do a master's in Latin American studies at Georgetown. And then I worked at a policy research center and was just very frustrated um, with not being able to connect and deliver and help communicate and help debunk myths about Mexicans and immigrants and just build bridges. And 
Um, once I got pregnant with my third son, I just resigned and enrolled in cooking school and decided that instead of political analysis, I wanted to get the academic chops to know more and talk more about food um, and give a door into our culture and country and history by way of food because food has always been my language of choice. So it was my natural path. And I thought I was going to be a food writer rather than a policy analysis writer. That's what I thought I was going to do. And then long story short, I started giving cooking classes. I started writing about food and it's been 12 years now that I've had Patty's Mexican table and Every season we go into a different region of Mexico and explore it and then come to my kitchen and cook here. And it's been a wonderful journey because as I've been doing these, I've realized that not only am I teaching people about Mexico, but more importantly, I've been teaching myself. I've realized how little I knew, how much Mexicans need to know about our own culture and identity and history And I realized how little knew about the U.S. too, because as I've been traveling the U.S. trying to, you know, share the flavors and culture of Mexico, I have realized how little I know about my new country. So it's been a fascinating journey. And after more than a decade of doing these, trying to bring the Mexico into the U.S., I now started this new docu-series called La Frontera which um, shines a light and celebrates the beauty of the people and food of the place where my two beloved countries meet. So another place that is just filled with myths and preconceptions and narrow views. And when you go to the borderland communities all the way from San Diego to Brownsville, you find so much richness, so much diversity, so much hard work, so many beautiful family values and um, just amazing food and amazing stories. So I've gone from trying to share Mexico, you know, to the U.S. to really learning about Mexico and the U.S. and now really diving into where those two places meet. Absolutely. And so how has this felt for you? Has it been kind of surreal to be able to make, you know, this your life's work, essentially doing something that you're so passionate about? Or, oh, you know? I love it. I just I just ask for more years to be able to continue <laughs> doing what I do. I love the research. I love the going there and meeting the people and eating the food. I feel, <coughs> you know, so honored to have access to people's homes and stories and I feel like it's a big responsibility to come bring the microphone and, and, you know, to places where many people don't go or where many people have very, you know, narrow views and to come and bring the microphone and say, share, you know, who we are, what we do, our food. And I, it's humbling. I love it because the relationship that has developed between me and my community and my audience is one not of like teacher to student, but friend to friend. They're coming with me on these journeys and they're learning with me as I learn. And, and you know, I always go hit the road, come back, we finish a show. I think that I'm so ready to be home. And then a few weeks later, I'm like, okay, I'm ready to go to the next place. So it's a great, it's a great balance. You know, I go out, meet a lot of people, come home, hibernate, 
recharge and I just love what I do. Well, that is so lovely to hear. And I'm so, you know, inspired by you and, you know, the fact that you're able to make such a positive impact with something that you love so much. I feel like that's honestly living the dream. All right, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old-world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. So for those who haven't seen the show, how would you describe it? Like, what does the show entail? What is it that you do on each episode? Okay, so for Patty's Mexican Table, it is a part cooking show, part travelogue, where I go into a different region of Mexico and explore it and meet the people, eat the food. And then I come to my kitchen here in the U.S. And then, you know, I just give people ways that they can enrich their lives and their home with these flavors of the the places they're coming to venture into with me. And um, it's been an incredible journey. I've been to so many places in Mexico that I hadn't been to while living there, you know, from Sonora, Sinaloa, Baja, Yucatan. Um, every, every new year is a fascinating new place. Even if I've been before, I'm more, always learning new things. So that's that show, and I love it so much. I've been doing it for 12 years. And then um, La Frontera is a new docu-series that still has food as the vehicle into the stories, but it's not a cooking show. I'm not teaching you techniques of how people or I prepare recipes, but it's the stories behind the food of that place. And in the case of La Frontera, it's a celebration of the borderland communities. And, you know, it's it's going into the stories of everyday people there from um, athletes to musicians to muralists to chefs to producers to, you know, just all kinds of people, teachers, preachers, um, priests, you know, all kinds of people and seeing the borderlands through their eyes and living life for just one minute, you know, in their shoes. And it's been awe-inspiring. And I think not only the U.S. has so much to learn about its own borders, but Mexico too. And this is a place that's enriching not only the borderlands, but not one, but two countries at the same time. And not many people know these stories or these food, and it's all so phenomenal. So this is... 
La Frontera is more of a journalistic docu-series. Mm -hmm. Very cool. And like, really cool. what a cool thing to kind of shine a light on and be able to tell those stories. And, you know, I, I actually have a journalistic background. I studied journalism um, in college and I was a TV news reporter for five years before I got into food media. So even just wow. listening, you describe that. I'm like, oh my God, those stories like to tell, like that's just... That's so cool and amazing that like you have the platform to be able to do that. And so how long has the how long has La Frontera be, been out? So La Frontera, the first season of La Frontera premiered in the fall of 2021 with two one hour episodes. And it went from El Paso to Brownsville. So it was the Texas US Mexico border. Uh -huh. And we got renewed for a second season, which we filmed last year. And it will premiere in April of this year, the first three Mondays of April, um, 9 p.m., back to back, week after week. And we do the other half of the border from San Diego, Tijuana to uh, back to El Paso. And it is going through California and it's bordering state Baja, California. Yeah. And Arizona and it's bordering state Sonora and New Mexico and its bordering state Chihuahua and it's a fantastic road trip and these are you know three one hour amazing shows oh my goodness well this sounds incredible you're kind of you're living the dream out there aren't you well it is I have to say it is really incredible and the people we have met and the stories we have been able to be a part of it's truly incredible and extraordinary and as I was saying I feel such an honor um to get to know all these incredible people mm -hmm. and I feel such a responsibility in in really helping bring those stories to more people and letting them tell their stories with their agency you know have agency and just tell their stories from their own words from their from their corner you know how they live life without me saying how they live life or other people saying how they live life just a true honest naked um look into the borderline communities oh my goodness well how cool and just where do you hope that the that where do you hope the show goes from here is there like another you know untapped area i know you could probably do a hundred shows about mexican cuisine or is there like a certain facet or element that you're hoping to shine a light on in the future or yes what what is what is the future looking like <laughs> i mean i think patty's mexican table is a show that i absolutely love and i think i want to continue doing as long as i can and go into different regions of mexico every year it's a beautiful thing um, and as far as the more journalistic primetime shows, there's so many things that I want to do. But right now, I'm really focused on us finishing this one, which we're in the middle of, you know, the post editing and doing the voiceovers and getting them all organized so that they can premiere in just a few weeks. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, you probably got a lot on your plate. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then how does it feel? I know you have, what, three cookbooks now? I do. I do. I have three cookbooks. Uh, the first one came out 2016. It's called Patty's Mexican Table. And it's, you know, Mexican classics that I grew up with. And the second book came out in 2019 called Mexican Table. And the latest one 
called Treasures of the Mexican Table came out in the fall of 2021. And that's the one that took me the longest to put mm-hmm. together. It's been the most ambitious. Took me four years. And and I love them all. Um, I love them all. Wow. Well, so what I was going to say is, I mean, I know having those cookbooks is like a crazy labor of love. And, you know, I know by interviewing other cookbook authors, just how much work goes into those. And like you said, you know, even your most, your third one, you would think you'd be kind of a, you know, you could do it in your sleep by now, but no, it takes so much oh, work. No. Yeah. And so how does it feel though, to have, you know, your recipes in the homes of, you know, people all over the world who mm-hmm. are able to, you know, you're basically able to have your food reach so many tables all over the place. It is such an honor. I mean, I think few things make me happier than when I get an email from someone who sends me a photo of them or their kids or their husband or whoever it may be in their family or themselves, you know, saying I made your whatever and this is what I did and I use this instead of that. And it makes me so happy because that just means that they are taking these recipes and making them their own. And that's where I feel like that's my work's worth, you know, if you can enrich a home with a recipe that becomes a treasure and an heirloom that they're going to pass, that they're going to have on their weekly rotations, like I'm done, you know, it's, it's yeah. fabulous. Oh my gosh. Well, that's, that's wonderful. And then, so you're working on the show. Are there any other cookbook plans coming up or putting that on hold for a bit? <laughs> Yeah, no, you know, I'm never putting anything on hold. I'm, of course. I'm always um, plotting things. So I'm always up to something. Um, but yeah, like I was saying, right now, we're just really focused on on La Frontera, on season two of La Frontera. Um, and very excited to jump into the next season of Patty's Mexican Table, which will premiere in the fall. And we're going to Yucatan, which I'm so excited about. That is incredibly exciting. <laughs> I, this is all just so wonderful. Well, was there anything else important to add about your journey or, you know, what you have happening over there or your culinary inspirations or anything that I haven't asked you? No, this has been such a great conversation. Oh, I'm so glad to hear it. <laughs> and it's been, yeah, very, very exciting to talk to you and kind of be inspired by you and everything that you've done with your work. So I appreciate you taking the time and telling me your story. And it's been an absolute um, pleasure. And same here. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is The Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. If you have a food story to tell or want us to interview a blogger, cookbook author, chef, or restaurateur, we would love your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time. The Feed Feed podcast is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.